Good morning, City Life. Good morning, Church. Good morning, everyone. Grateful for yet another Sunday where we can be preaching, be here together, hear God's Word, continuing our sermon series. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here at City Life. We love that you're here. If you're new, hit that connect button, hit that I'm new button. We want to get to know you. We want to reach out. We want to jump on a Zoom call if you, if you would like, but if that's too scary, I get it. But uh, we want to get to know you. We want to be your home here in Jersey City. And so hit that button, reach out to us, email me at preese at citylifenj.com. We're just passionate about reaching our city. And today we are continuing in the mystery series, our series through Ephesians, looking at this beautiful book, the Queen of the Epistles is, is one of its nicknames. And uh, today we start our fourth major thematic section. The first one was called New Life. New Life meant that a life in Christ is a new life. That when you say yes, when you hear about Jesus, what he did, the life he led, what he represented, who he was, his death and resurrection, and you say yes to all of that, you are a brand new creation, a new person, a new eternity is awaiting you. Think about all the promises that we, we talked about in the first couple of weeks that you have been offered adoption into God's family, that you have been given an inheritance, every spiritual blessing in Jesus, that even for us, the ladies and the men, that we are offered sonship, which means that legally you have every standing, that women, you don't need a man to belong to God or to have access to the inheritance. No, that all of us are given access to God, that we are no longer who we used to be, when Jesus gets put into our lives, when we are in Christ, and you are a new creation. That was new life. And then we talked about new society. Since I'm changed, since you're changed, since Joe Schmo across the world was changed, and then everyone else who becomes changed, this new being, we are put together in a body called the church, the capital C church, the body that Jesus died and resurrected to bring the world. And that in this church, you know, it's not any one organization or denomination, it's not Catholic or Protestant, it's not, it's not any of this, the church, Christ's church, his bride, that God is recreating humanity, bringing his kingdom, ushering it in one heart at a time. And as it spreads, as the church grows through conversion, his kingdom is coming here more and more. So really God is recreating not only humanity, but the whole world one heart at a time. And that was new society. And then because we are placed in this new society, we have been given new measures, right? The evidence of my life shows that I believe in something, that I'm following something. And so as God's light, am I being his, am I shining Christ everywhere that I go? Is the sum of my life, does it add up to, there's something there in this life? Or is it, ah, this guy doesn't believe in what he says, or this guy's a phony, a hypocrite. Jesus' harshest words were to, only to the religiously proud. It's like, oh, like, does, do I live the life that I talk about, that I tell people is possible? Am I evidencing Christ around me? And then today we get the privilege of starting our last major theme. It's called New Relationships. And this section, honestly, right from the, from the get-go, let's say, that it'll go to places that many of us don't want it to. 
places that we're like, okay, you can go other place, but no, I'm not, God, I haven't opened this part of my life to you. We're going to start off talking about marriage and then kids with their parents and then servants or slaves with their masters, which meant totally different in the ancient world. And then we're also going to talk about spiritual warfare against Satan and, and the kingdom clash that we have joined. And all of this, all 11 weeks of sermons have led up to new relationship. You know, because I am new, because I am recreated and am being recreated, and because I'm called to evidence Christ, God, God is allowed to come into my social relationships, my most intimate relationships. I am a social being made to be a social being. And so God, like come and redeem every level of intimacy in my relationships. Come and redeem my marriage and my relationship with my kids, with my family, co-workers, with strangers. Come and redeem every layer of human relationship. And to start that, today we are going to talk about the most intimate relationship, the most intimate relationship on this side of eternity, besides our relationship with God, of course, but the, the, the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. I met my wife in August, it's like August 29th, around there, of 2005. I, I was an 18-year-old on my at my second day of college and has been in my life for almost 16 years here's a picture this is the oldest picture I could find of the of the two of us together It was from 2006 let's look at this picture look at how beautiful we look both of us look at how happy Anne looks and so we've been together for almost 16 years I have been to, I have almost been together with Anne longer than I lived my life without her before meeting her. And since I've met her, I've pursued no other woman. Since being with her, I've held no other hand and I've reached out for no other hand than Anne's. Anne's lips have been the only ones that I've kissed in these almost 16 years old, 16 years, besides our two beautiful kids. Anne has been the person that I've built my heart into and who I've built a home out of. There's absolutely nothing on this planet that I would trade my wife for in all of the world. There is nothing that I would trade her in for, that I would trade for her. I would rather lose my life than lose even a minute of the life that Christ has called us to live together. She is so uniquely talented and qualified in life. And she in ministry blows me out of the water every time. She, she's my best friend. She's the one that I turn to. The first person I see in the morning, the last person I say goodnight to. And I couldn't have imagined where we would end up when I met her as a scared, scrawny, 18, arrogant little punk. She's my best friend. The, one of the best things that has ever happened to me in my life. And so today we are going to be talking about the depth of Christian marriage. 
and what the goal is, what God has called us to in the act of being married to another person. I'm calling this series, this sermon, Wives and Husbands. And let's pray before we really jump in. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be with this preaching of this word and the receiving of this word. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for gathering us again, for keeping us, for your mercies and your grace. Lord, uh, I just pray that you would be with the preaching of your word today, that this passage that has so many times been used in, inappropriately to hurt uh, would find the, the light that you always meant it to have. Lord, I, I pray for all of our marriages, all the marriages that are on right now, Lord, all of our future marriages, Lord, those of us who will find it. Lord, I, I just pray that uh, at the center of this union, you would be you. For us to know you, to get to know you, to love another person in search of you. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I uh, thank you for gathering us again. Lord, we are just so committed to you, Holy Spirit. Please be in every part of uh, what gets said today. We love you, and we hold ourselves to you and, and the, what you teach us, Lord. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's start by reading our passage. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to close off the chapter. We're going to go back to where we stopped last week, chapter 5, verse 21, and we're going to read until 33. And God's word says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A few years ago, the, one of the previous pastors in our church, the, uh, Justin and Anne, we loved them so dearly, we miss them, they preached together on this passage. They preached about their marriage, about what God had been teaching them. They, they've been married for over 10 years, and so... They, man, they live the life. You can see their marriage. You can see that they are deeply committed to one another, that they love each other, that their life is oriented towards one another, lifting one another up. 
And we heard their sermon and I enjoyed it. I thought they did a great job and it was great to see a husband and a wife talking about their marriage and what they felt God had designed in marriage all along. And I remember listening and agreeing and wanting like wanting those promises for my marriage and man, I still do. And I also had this one thought from that sermon. I was like, man, they are beautiful together. They are, you can't have Justin without Anne and you can't have Anne without Justin and it's so apparent. But I also was thinking to myself, man, like there's so much of this, there's so much of marriage and scripture that I'm like, man, I, I want to build my marriage with my wife. Like, oh, Justin and Anne, I love you guys. Thank you so much. But I, I, I like, oh, not thank you so much. Oh, like, you guys, they did something wrong because they didn't. But it's like, thank you for sharing. And now I want to go and build my life with my wife. It's like, I, I don't want my marriage to look like anyone else's because I think God has something uniquely destined for me and Anne together. That was one of the reasons why we got married. It's because we're like, oh, God is telling us that we are better together than we are apart. And so I, I remember this and I remember thinking, man, I am so excited to build, continue to build my marriage because this is my life and Anne's. I'm living no one else's. And so me, Anne, and Christ are going to be making the shots. We're going to be taking our family on adventures and doing all of these amazing things that we could only imagine right now that we are going to see happen. And I want to preach out of this vein because, you know, there's so we hear so many sermons that, about marriages or relationships that are more about society, the societies that we are grew up in or are comfortable with than we do actually what scripture has to say. So many sermons. I had used the other day there was this sermon that just brought up this revulsion in me. I heard it went viral online. A pastor here in the US one of his points in his sermon about marriage was that the wife needs to stay attractive so the husband doesn't cheat and stuff like that it just like it drives me up the wall and it's like the picture of ugh, when we miss it and i was like gosh that revulses me to my core and my spirit i feel troubled when i hear sermons like that that are all about culture and not about scripture and so I want, I want it to be clear to all of us as we enter into today that this passage is about freedom for wives and husbands. Grace and freedom for wives and husbands to live in harmony and beauty together, building the life that Christ is calling each separate couple to live. I know that this passage has often been used to demean women, to keep wives suppressed and subservient. To, to give a man a sense of ownership and entitlement that scripture here is not talking about. And so before I get to any points, before I want to talk about how beautiful I find this to be, how liberating it is for both the wife and the husband, I want to first apologize to all of our women because it's not just wives, but it's also women that passages like these are used to control, are used to give you and teach you inferiority. And so I, I take a posture of apologizing for any man who has done that and also any woman, woman who has done that to you in your life. That this is not the freedom that Christ intended for you. This passage has nothing to do with inferiority or control. And if anyone has an agenda of that coming out of these verses, then I, I would willingly want to talk to them to talk about their exegesis a little bit. 
but Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 33 are about grace and freedom in a loving marriage. I wanted to read this quote from my best friend, John Stott. He wrote this, We who name Christ's name need to acknowledge with shame that we ourselves have often acquiesced in the status quo and so helped to perpetuate some forms of human oppression instead of being the vanguard of those seeking social change. Nothing in the paragraphs we are about to study is inconsistent with the true liberation of human beings from all humiliation, exploitation, and oppression. Instead, these three weeks, this week where we're talking about wives and husbands, next week when we're talking about parents and children, and then the last week where we're talking about slaves and masters or servants and, and bosses, which uh, meant very different things than it does for us today. They're supposed to affirm three things. We are going to affirm three things. We're going to be affirming the dignity of womanhood, of childhood, and of service. That equality before God of all human beings, irrespective of their race, their rank, their class, their culture, their sex, their age, because we are all made to be image bearers of God. And we're also, third, need to affirm that all are called to a deeper unity in the Christian fellowship into God's family and his own body. And so in that vein, let's start off where Paul starts off. Let's start talking to wives. Let's read verses 21 to 24. This is one area in which I think our modern Bibles do us a disfavor because they're disconnected here right, with different settings. And we forget at times that this is one letter. I can only preach what I preach today because of what I preached last week. And so let's start with last week. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And we start at verse 21, because this, the words here, submit, is, is such a loaded word, it's such a harmful word, it has been used to cause so much damage. But remember, last week we talked, what are the evidences of a spirit-filled life? Don't be filled with alcohol or wine, everything in this world will suppress you, only, only the Holy Spirit will make you who you were always meant to be. And one of the marks, one of the most powerful marks of a life in the Holy Spirit is submission to one another out of reverence. That husbands, in here, you are called to submit to your wives already. That this isn't just a role for women, no, 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 but that the Christian life is about submission to one another, mutual, spirit-filled submission. Paul here is the same man who wrote Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when talking about our access and worth to God. When he writes that there is neither Jew nor Greek, that there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Jesus. He's not taking that back here. That he isn't giving us a teaching that says, ah, you know what, this is more inspired than what I wrote over there. No, this isn't the case. Paul is the same man who trained and raised Priscilla and Aquila. Powerful, strong, mighty women who could teach who when in Acts chapter 18 heard that Apollos, one of the greatest teachers outside of the apostles in the early church, 
that when Apollos, the great Apollos, was teaching something incorrectly, they took him aside and they taught him what was right, which in their world, man, was unthinkable that Paul would raise women who are so confident and powerful and equipped that they would go and challenge Apollos in the right ways and teach him the right thing. Man, this is the Paul who also writes this, that we are all called to mutual submission to one another. And so City Life, City Life ladies, me as pastor, as your brother in Christ, I submit myself to you and I have no problem with doing that. I submit myself to be the type of man in your life that Christ was to all the women that he ever encountered, a safe, loving place, a place where no oppression, no abuse, no, that all of the men at this church will submit to women because you are our sisters and Christ loves you and he causes me to see that there is nothing better about me as a man than you, that there is nothing that makes me more of an image bearer Scripture makes it absolutely clear to me that my life is also lived in submission to you. This word today isn't about temperament. It's not about personality. It's not about generalities. And it's also not about the societal expectations that we all live in. No, it's about purging all of that. But this is a word for a wife and a husband. I love the way verse 22 starts out. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice here that this word is for a wife and her husband. This is not saying women submit to men. Clearly, this is not what it's saying. This is also not saying wives submit to all the other men or all the other husbands. But wives, there is a call. Once you say yes to a, to a union, a marriage union, a God-honoring marriage union to submit, which later on is explained in verse 33, that the submission to a husband looks like this, and let, wife, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That when a wife says yes to a man in marriage, that she's saying yes to someone that she can respect and love and build a home with, build a family with if that's what you want, Pursue a career if that's what you want and feel called to pursue all pursue things But that you and your husband are people that can respect each other live in harmony and beauty and pursue the life that Christ has for you It is true here the the counterculture part of this the part that even I feel uncomfortable with and am unpacking in my own life and in my own marriage is that the husband does have some headship over the family there is a reality here that the husband is the head of the, of the wife. But as we're going to talk about in a little bit, that's authority given that is never told to be exercised. I love here how Paul goes to uh, Genesis. He links this to Genesis, to the creation story of itself. And I, I, I like that. I appreciate that because I, I think about creation. I think about the story that we're told, that God himself told us. And he created all of these things and he said everything was good except for one thing. That he created Adam, he gave him some things to do, but then he said, you know what, it is not good that he's alone. And so out of love for Adam, he built Eve. He made Eve from his own body, another form of mutual submission. That man needs woman and woman needs man. And then I think that God named this beautiful creature of his Eve. And the name Eve means a couple of things, but it means life. 
its most basic meaning is life. I love how in a marriage, you know, not all of us are destined to be married or not all of us will get married. Some of us by choice and some of us by circumstance. And so I'm not saying that life only starts when you get married. But for a husband and a wife, when you find that other person, ladies that you, or wives that you can respect and throw your whole life into, then you find someone that gives you life. Find someone that, oh, my, my life is in this person. Now, not as my savior, only Christ is ever our saviors. But as a man, this is, a, this is also a word to Adam. Adam, your life starts when you meet your wife. Again, not only, not everyone is going to get married. But man, if I'm saying yes to another person in marriage, I'm saying yes to the life that I have been given. To tie myself so deeply into that one person. But we're going to get there in a little bit. And so Paul also links this headship to Christ over the church, which talks more to men than it does to women. And we're going to get that to a little bit. But, but wives... Wives, submit to your husbands. Find a man that you can respect and make a life with. And so let's keep this going. Paul takes this and he turns his attention to the husbands. And he says this word for husbands. You know, now, as many of us know, or maybe if you're new or just haven't met me yet, I have a daughter now. And what's the hashtag? Dad? Girl dad? Is that what it is? Sorry, my bad. I, apparently, I am being very dad-like right now. But I have my own daughter, and I have already thought about her life, and man, I, I find myself daydreaming about the man that she's gonna marry. I, I, I find myself praying for that man, because I love my daughter so much. Even She's just turned nine months old, and she still doesn't really love me that much. She loves me, but she doesn't want me to be near her all the time. And I just, I love her so much, and I have so many hopes for her, her life, finding a partner that will Man, just love every ounce of her. Love that she's a little firecracker. Love that she will look you in the eye and scream at you like she does to me all the time. And I think about my desires as a dad for my daughter and I just think about, you know, I, I feel like this is God turning his attention to the, all the husbands and saying, I love my daughters so much. This is the life that a husband needs to live. And then for the rest of this, for the, the real onus here is not on the wives. The wives get a, a rather short portion of this, but it's to the husband. It's saying the husband. Husbands, you have the societal power. In every culture, just about, you are the one in a dominant position. You are the one with access to resources. You are the one who will be okay when if everything is taken from you. So this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to love my daughter and give yourself up for her. And then we see here God is saying this word. Paul reserves the warning to husbands in here. I love my daughters. Take care of them. And then we get verse 25 and 30. God's words here says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
And so if we summarize the call that a wife has over her marriage, it's to submit and respect. And if we have to summarize the call of the husband in a union, it's to practice sacrificial love and service until the point of death, just like Christ. Here, in this passage, men are given, not men, sorry, husbands, not men, husbands, are given five verbs to accomplish, five, five verbs to make their life all about in regards to their wives. The first one is love your wife. Love your wife. Agape, love your wife. This is love without holding back, love without being too proud or emotionally distant, love by pouring yourself into this person without any reservation, without putting your eggs in any other basket, love and put elevate your wife above yourself, support her in everything that you do. Your call is to continually be dying to yourself to elevate your wife. And so if that means, men, stay, you become a stay-at-home dad to support your wife, then do it. If that means supporting her career, if she wants one, and if God's calling her to one, then do it. Find a way. Build your life. No one lives their life on accident, right? We said that in the New Measures. And so husbands, you're the ones with all of the societal control in most cases. So support your wives. Build a life around sacrificing love for her. Give yourself up for her. Be there emotionally. Be there in every single way. Don't, don't be a typical guy. And we all know what we think of when we think of a typical guy. The second verb is give yourself up for her. The word here in the Greek means to undergo death for her. I like it because it has two meanings, two ways to take this. First is literally die to her, right? We get this in what Christ did, that, for, that we're supposed to treat our wives like Christ did the church, and he died for her. That Christ, Jesus was the Christ, the maker of all the things, that he had authority over everything, and he never went around saying, you know what, I am your leader. Paul, Peter, I am your leader. You follow me. If you don't obey, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. You are no, no. But that was not what Christ did. Christ, what he did was continually give himself up for his church. And the one meaning then is to die. Die for your wife. If you need to physically die for your wife, do that. But then even metaphorically, live every day. If you're willing to die, then that means you live every day for her, holding her up. That only death would separate you from the union and the bond and the love commitment that you made to sacrifice for your wife. The next one, the next verb is sanctify her, which in the Greek means purify her. And this isn't talking about, you know what, husbands, your faith will save her or she'll find salvation if you're good. No, it doesn't mean that because only faith in Christ, only uh, re repentance and a confessions prayer to Jesus saves a soul, right? But here what it's saying is build this life that will bring her to Christ. Remove struggles from her life. Don't be an, an obstacle to her faith for her to live out the life that God has made her to. Don't hold your privilege over her in any single way, societally, or in any other way, because you know what? Your job is to bring her health through prayer and sacrifice and service. Build an environment that will nurture her relationship with Jesus, coming from a culture where women could only go to one part of the temple and couldn't go to any of the others. Bring her to Christ. Make sure she has full access to Jesus. The next verb here is cleanse her. 
again, just like the one, you know, I cannot cleanse and I can't remove her sins. Only Christ, only God, only the, only the Holy Spirit can do that. But if I live this life where I remove guilt from her, where I remove shame from her, where, where I don't force her to feel any type of way except love and care for and nurture, that I would cleanse her by loving on her, massaging her wounds away, being about loving on my wife so that she can find freedom in her life. And then the last one is present her to God. The last verb, present her to God, which here in the Greek means to show the quality of her character, that I would so ordain the way I live my life, the way that me and my wife make decisions together or the times where she vetoes me or the times when I veto her, it was like, if we're doing this to present the full quality of our character to God. From a society that was so male-dominated that women couldn't do almost anything publicly, that I would live my life to elevate my wife, to live for her to show that she has all the worth that I would ever have, all of the value, all that God speaks to her as much as he speaks to me that I need her in my own life. Man, this is a beautiful picture of what a marriage is supposed to be like. Submission to one another, service to one another. I think that this is the better picture of what a husband and a wife should look like. And now one of the considerations that I've taken into account in, in talking about this, how to present this, and how to even in with my own prejudices, like, God, like, let your word wash over me, teach me. One of the considerations that I kept on returning to is the thought that even I share at times, like, I, I mean, I don't need anyone else for this, right? I don't need this. I don't need a man to do this for me or and some men. I don't need a woman to do any of this for me. I can do it for myself. And part of that is right. You know, the healthy attitude is that, you know, only I truly know where I am with the Lord. But when you say yes to marriage, this is what you're stepping into. This is the last thing that we're going to talk to about today is oneness. Let's read verses 31 to 33. We've already seen Paul talk about this. But 31 and 33 talk about this pretty nicely. God's word says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That the aim of a Christian marriage is oneness. Oneness of heart and soul. That the second you say yes to a, a man to become your husband, the second you say yes to a woman to become your wife, that's something this mystery happens. This profound and beautiful mystery journey adventure happens when two souls, two separate beings become one. That the husband leaves his father and his mother, his most intimate home, and that he would go and build one with this wife. That he would so love her that he would so make his life about building this home with this other person that it doesn't, that this two souls become one. They're so intertwined. And so you will never know me 
without being Anne's husband. You will never know Anne if you meet her from this day forward without being Pedro's wife. That we so belong together, that we are so joined, that we so pursue one another because it teaches us about Christ and what he did for us on the cross and for this church and this family and this body. Genesis, it goes back to Genesis again in Genesis 2 verses 31 to 33 are a quote from Genesis 2 linking this to before we fell to before sin caused all this confusion in our identities and in our sexualities and in our roles and in our functions and like all these words that we use in church to talk about the differences between men and women that when I find my wife I find my life I love my wife so deeply and I, I constantly am not fulfilling all these five verbs with her like I should be, but that I have found my life in Anne and that we are called to pursue each other. And so it's good for a man, for a husband to do his agape love, to sacrifice for his wife. And it's good for a wife to submit, and res which means uh, to respect her husband because when you do, you're saying yes to the person who will love your soul completely. And so church, this is the goal and the aim of the Christian marriage. Is that we see that Jesus, he is our Lord. He has all authority in heaven and earth. We talked about that on Easter, right? And that my whole life is about putting myself under his lordship. But even in Jesus never exercised his lordship over me. But he came and he died and he sacrificed himself to me. And he was chasing me all along. And so it's authority given but not authority exercised. That men are supposed to love and nurture and build their home with their wives. Not men, sorry I keep saying that. With husbands are supposed to do that. And the wives do the same with your husband. Love him. Build this home with him. It's beautiful, beautiful call. And so church, this is where we start our new relationship. To allow God to come and redeem our marriages. Often marriages can be the greatest source of wounding in a person's life. We know that there's divorce, there's abuse, there's struggle, there's... This is not so neat and complicated, and not so neat and perfect every time. I know there's complexity and differences, but man... When we say yes to another soul, we're saying yes to our lives. And this is the picture of what Christ sees in marriage and our relationship with him, which over and over and over and over again, we are told that he is our groom. And so church, today we are joining one Zoom call all together. We are going to be talking about this, breaking up into smaller groups and just processing some of this, some of this that I know is painful for some but I pray is liberating for all of us and that we all get to choose how we live our lives with our spouses to uphold one another and love and sacrifice and serve for one another. And so here are our prompt questions, but we'll be joining this one call together right after these questions. The first question for the morning is, how does this view of marriage differ from societal expectations that you've seen? Now, one of the things that I, I think is so great about this is that we can take all of our societal pressures, everything that we've seen is typical for a man and for a woman to do, and we throw it out the window because I'm, I want to build my own marriage, make my decisions with my wife, and see what Christ is telling us to do. And so how does this picture of marriage 
just utterly just get rid of any societal pressures of what we see are typical or typically told to us about what a man and a woman should do in marriage. Prompt question number two. How can a wife and a husband embody these calls in real life? A lot of us are married. How do we actually do this? And if you're not married, how do you hear this and want to, if, if you find the right person, if you find the one that you want to say yes to for the rest of your life, how can we make this practical? Because God's wisdom is always practical as well. And question number three is quite simply, why oneness? Why is oneness so central to the call of a Christian marriage? For us to be that close to another soul. And what does that mean for our relationship with Christ? So church, let's jump on this call. We love you. It's great to see you. Um, hopefully beta didn't get rained out today. But we'll see you on this call. The link is going to jump up right there on the chat right now. Join it. Click us. We want to be together. So uh, yeah, church, we'll see you in a few minutes. All right. Love you all. Bye.